It's nice to see you coming in from class and giving chapel a priority tonight. I want to welcome you to the 44th annual Oak Bible Reading Chapel Service at Nazarene Bible College. 44 years we've been doing this. And uh, we've gathered this evening to read and to hear the Word of God. Ancient words, ever true. Changing me, changing you. Words of life, words of hope, words of strength. As you can tell from your printed program, uh, this chapel service is a long-standing tradition at Nazarene Bible College, and it really has a rich history. A little bit of that is written in the, in the bulletin. The most important thing that can happen to us in this evening's service is to have an encounter with the Word of God. Someone has said, a new impression of the word is given by passing it through human lips. Human lips which have been taught to voice it with the clearness, dignity, and beauty it deserves. And I believe that we'll all get a new impression of the word tonight. So I challenge you to listen with your mind and with your heart. As you listen to these readings in a few moments, you'll notice distinct differences in the readings. There are various genres of literature, and each has its unique purpose. And because the literature is different, the vocal demands are different for the person who is reading. We're going to listen to some words of instruction tonight. We'll hear persuasive appeals through words of caution, admonition, words of challenge. We'll join the characters of Scripture in life-changing experiences. And, most of all, our spirits will rise as we listen to exalted and eternal truth. So, I want to encourage you to listen to these students from the oral interpretation class who are reading to us tonight. And I want to give you a couple of instructions because of the nature of this service, readings from the Word. I think it would not be appropriate to applaud between the readings. I'll give you a chance to express your appreciation at the end. But let's just uh, savor the moments. And then I think to get more out of this experience, uh, if you just close your Bibles and simply listen, not try to follow along, some of these readings are flowing directly from uh, successive verses, and some of them are abridgments, some of them are arrangements. And so uh, it would be difficult to follow along anyway. So just open your ears, open your hearts, and listen. I'd like for you to stand with me as I pray before we get started tonight. <clears throat> Lord, we have come to hear your word with gladness. You have spoken, and we rejoice. Words of love and life and freedom help us make their truth our choice tonight. Now, in holy celebration of your word, we worship you. May we hear with understanding. May our hearts accept with meekness all the grace your light makes known. In your name we pray and dedicate these moments. Amen.
Now, one of the most significant works of Jesus' ministry is portrayed throughout the Gospels. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, Jesus demonstrates his authority over death and disease through his mighty power of healing. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The temple is gone, hope is pretty much lost, and the people of God have been exiled. Faith is a commodity that is found by few. The prophet Ezekiel is one of those few. The Ancient of Days has called him to do a job, speak of hope in a time of grief. Ezekiel sees what most can't, 
the everlasting moving amongst his people to reignite a passionate faith through a message of hope. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit, set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of Yahweh. John 1 is considered to be the prologue of John. Webster's Dictionary defines prologue as a preface or an introduction to a literary work. What an introduction to the book of John. The incarnation of Christ, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, 
His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came through that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We serve an amazing God, amen? We serve an amazing God, amen? amen? It says in Job 26, 7, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. In Colossians, Paul seeks to explain this mystery of how the master of the universe, the creator of all things, came in the form of a man to die for our sins that we might have life. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. In fact, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power so that you may have all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in his light. For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. The title of my reading tonight is Trust, Love, and Action. It's excerpts from um, the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why I chose this scripture is because it was one of Jesus's first sermons. And what he did is he looked out in the crowd and he saw beaten people. And he knew that what they needed to hear was not what they had been hearing from the world and from their priest. They needed to hear how God saw them, how God loved them, and what his idea of trust, love, and action was all about. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear? Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. 
yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Listen carefully. You have heard the law that says that punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer him the other cheek. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give him your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, you carry it too. You have also heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Always remember, you have been called to be the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. But you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father and know that you are his. Will we, may we go out as Christ did. The Galatians were beginning to turn from faith to legalism. Jewish teachers were insistent that non-Jewish believers obey Mosaic law and tradition. Paul writes to them in an effort to defend the authority of the gospel. He reminds them that trying to earn God's favor only leads to slavery. As Christians, we are not bound by regulation. We are set free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then 
And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. For those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm reading a compilation of scripture from the Gospels in reference to Peter, passionate, impulsive Peter, his denials of Jesus, and Jesus in amazing grace affirming and reinstating Peter to ministry. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. After they had finished supper, Jesus said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot come now but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die, with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. When they had sung a hymn, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't even know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also were one of them. He denied it again, with an oath. I don't know this man. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, and he went outside and wept bitterly. 
But Jesus believed in Peter. Earlier he had said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And now, some days later, on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus appeared to Peter and some other disciples. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I think that all too often we lose sight of the only thing we can truly count on in life, and that is God's promises. That is why I have chosen to read to you, to share with you, the glorious vision that was given to John from God. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, 
the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts. They are idolaters and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve gates were made of twelve pearls, each gate of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, the word has ministered to us tonight, hasn't it? It's been wonderful, yes. There's just something special about hearing God's word spoken with confidence, with assurance. Uh, it's my privilege as the teacher of the oral interpretation class to uh, honor these people tonight with a certificate of recognition. Uh, if you could come up here and stand on the platform, that would make it easier for me. Uh, the certificate reads, this certificate is hereby awarded to and their name is inscribed in recognition of achievement in public reading of scripture and participation in the Oak Bible Reading Award program on the 23rd day of January 2013 at Nazarene Bible College, Colorado Springs, Colorado. A beautiful remembrance of, this, uh, of their involvement in this event. And I want to give that to them, but while I do that, perhaps you'd like to express your thanks for their ministry to you tonight.
I've asked our president to come and pray the closing prayer and benediction. Would you stand with us, please? Tonight we will receive the benediction from selected verses found in Psalms 119. Let us pray together. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach us your decrees. Tonight we rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. We meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Lord, we seek you with all our hearts. Do not let us stray from your commands. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Turn our hearts toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn our eyes away from worthless things. Preserve our lives according to your word. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. For your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to our feet and a light for our paths. So help us to set our hearts on keeping your decrees to the very end. For you are our refuge and shield. We have put our hope in your word. So we will praise you with an upright heart as we learn your righteous ways. We delight in your decrees. We will not neglect your word. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Beautiful. If you can kind of get together, I might get a